Good morning, church family. And good morning to those of you who are watching online. Thank you for tuning in today as well. You know, testimonies are powerful stories, and this series called My God is really looking at various testimonies of people in the Bible and their first-hand encounters with God. I don't know if the name Jane Marcheski means anything to you, if that rings a bell, but probably you might have heard her stage name, Nightbird. Uh, She became famous almost overnight, a 30-year-old from Zanesville, Ohio. She appeared on the 16th season of America's Got Talent uh, back in June, performing an original song that she wrote called It's Okay. The irony is that Nightbird's life is anything but okay. She was diagnosed for a second time with terminal cancer on New Year's Eve 2019. She was told that she had, quote, innumerable tumors that were found throughout her lungs, her liver, her lymph nodes, her ribs, and her spine. She was given six months to live and had a 2% chance of survival. She went to California for 16 weeks for treatment and was declared in July of 2020, they declared her cancer-free. So this past June the 8th, Nightbird auditioned for America's Got Talent and really captivated the audience with her song, with the spirit that she sang it, with her beautiful smile. She captivated the audience and, her, and the judges. And after the song, in conversation with the judges, she revealed that the cancer was back for a third time. And she is, now has cancer in her liver, her spine, and her lungs. And she stood on the stage singing, It's Okay. She said something near the end of the conversation that really grabbed my attention. When Howie said to her, we would never guess that by looking at you. She said, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. You can't wait till life's not hard anymore before you decide to be happy. And so that just kind of got me interested. I started doing some reading about her. I don't know about her spiritual life. I don't know if she is a follower of Christ, but I do know that she has written in her blogs about her struggles and about God. And in one of her blogs, this is a statement that she made. She said, I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. If you can't see Him, look lower. I met God on the bathroom floor. That's where I found God. That's where she said, I met God. That was her first-hand testimony, her first-hand encounter with God. I met God on the bathroom floor. So in this series, we're looking at stories like that. We're looking at stories of people who had first-hand encounters with the living God. And today, we're going to be looking at a story that is one of the strongest affirmations of faith in all of the Bible. I want you to open your Bibles to the table of contents, which is an unusual place to start. But this is a hard book to find that we're going to be looking at. Now, if you've got a digital Bible, of course, you don't need the table of contents. But I want you to go to the Old Testament, find the table of contents. Look in the Old Testament and look for the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. It's the fifth book from the end of the Old Testament. Uh, You'll find Habakkuk on page 829. That's a joke. (laughs) Your numbers are not the same as mine, of course. But I want you to go to Habakkuk. Our text is going to be in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Those last words of this book contain some great words of hope. 
But before we can really understand those last three verses, we need to understand the depth of despair that the prophet was in when he wrote the entire book. Now Habakkuk is a very unique book because we don't know a whole lot about the author. All we know about him is what we we find as we read this book. Another reason this is a unique book is because it contains a dialogue between this prophet named Habakkuk and God. In other words, this book is not addressed to Israel. This book was not written to the people of God. There are no sermons in this book. There are no prophecies in this book. And that is a significant statement. In this book of prophecy, there are no prophecies. There are no sermons. This is a dialogue. This is a conversation between the prophet and God. And in fact, two-thirds of the book is actually an argument with God. The prophet is really at odds with God because God's ways seem unreasonable. God's ways seem unjust. And so Habakkuk looks over the land of Judah. He looks at the international scene. He looks at what's happening around his country. And he finds himself struggling with some very serious problems and questions. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever done that? Have you ever struggled with God over what you see happening around you? Do you ever wonder about the heartache and and the tragedy that you see all around you? I mean, there are stories on the news all the time that make us shake our head and wonder how something like this could happen. And then there are personal stories. Personal stories not on the news, but stories of people that we know, people that we love. Stories that are heartbreaking and we wonder, why didn't God do anything? Why did God allow this to happen? And in those kind of times, here's what happens, look up here for a moment. In those those times, here's what happens. Our theology, that is our belief about God, sometimes is tested by what we see in life. That was Habakkuk. His theology, what he believed about God was tested by what he saw in life. That's the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk had the kind of questions that we have. But rather than give up on God... Rather than walk away from God, rather than turn away from God, Habakkuk turns to the Lord and talks to the Lord about his problems. And that's what this book is about. And I'm impressed that he does this. I'm impressed that he actually takes his problems in prayer to God. Because many people do just the opposite. When they have doubts about God, they just quit talking to him. When they struggle with God, they quit church. They stop reading their Bible. When there are things they can't understand, they can't get their mind around it, sometimes people just turn away from God, but not Habakkuk. Rather than isolate himself, when he was struggling with his faith, when he had doubts, Habakkuk prayed to God. And that's probably putting it too mildly because the first two chapters, basically Habakkuk is sparring with God. Now, let me give you the context before we read, if you go to chapter 1, verse 1, let me give you the context before we start reading the book. This book was written about 18 to 20 years before the Babylonians came in and destroyed the nation of Israel in 586 B.C. Things were a mess at this time in Israel. Uh, The northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, had already been destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And now that left two southern tribes called Judah. And now they were heading down the same road as their northern neighbors. Now they were on the same track. They had turned their backs on God. They had stopped listening to God. 
And on the horizon was a new world power named Babylon. And so with that context, look at chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. I've told you before, but let me remind you that word oracle means burden. Habakkuk has a real burden. He's a man that's filled with confusing and conflicting thoughts about God. He's filled with all kinds of questions. And those questions for God spill out into this book. There's two areas really where he's struggling. One is in the area of unanswered prayer. Look in verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Isn't that an amazing way to start the book? How long do I keep praying, but you keep ignoring me? Essentially what he's saying. There's two interesting words that he uses in verse 2. One is the word call. I I call out. It just simply means to ask for help. That's the kind of praying that we often do. But then he uses another phrase. The phrase, cry out. I cry out to you. And that word means to scream or to cry out with a loud voice and a disturbed heart. And here's his question. Lord, how long do I have to keep doing this? And the heavens are brass. How long do I have to keep asking? And you simply don't respond. It's interesting that Habakkuk is actually praying about prayer itself. He thought about that in verse 2. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? He's actually praying about prayer itself. How long should I pray when it seems like God's not interested in answering? It encourages me to know that sometimes the people of the Bible struggle with the same things I struggle with. They ask some of the same questions that I sometimes ask. And so that was Habakkuk in verse 2 asking, Lord, how long? Why aren't you answering this prayer? But then there's another thing that he struggled with, and that is God's lack of control over human evil. He says it this way in verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Please understand, it was not the existence of evil that was troubling the prophet. The thing that troubled the prophet was God didn't seem to be doing anything about the evil that was in the world. He's asking the question, why doesn't justice and righteousness win? God, why do you tolerate those who do wrong? These are such relevant questions for our days. I mean, just watch the news. Any day of the week, just watch the news and you'll find yourself asking, God, why would you allow that? God, why don't you do something about that group? Why don't you do something about those people? Now, you need to remember that this book is a dialogue. So far, we've just looked at one side of the conversation, and that is Habakkuk complaining to God. In verse 5, God finally responds to Habakkuk. In this conversation, this dialogue. And here's what God says. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. So remember what Habakkuk is saying? God, why don't you do something? And God said, okay, listen, listen. I am going to do something. In fact, I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. 
In fact, I, I'm going to do something. You wouldn't even believe it if somebody hadn't told you. I'm about to do something. And Habakkuk probably was like, thank goodness. I mean, God, I was starting to get concerned. I mean, I don't know why you're... I, I was really starting to get worried. But I'm excited that you're finally going to do something. God, what are you going to do? And God tells him in verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. In other words... God said, I'm planning to punish the nation of Judah by using the godless Babylonians. that sound like a good idea to you? God actually said to Habakkuk, you want me to do something? I'm going to do something. I'm going to use the godless nation of Babylon to judge and discipline the chosen nation of Judah. And here's Look how God describes this nation, verses 7 through 11. They, speaking of Babylon, they are a feared and dreaded people. They're afraid of no one. They're a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gathers prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities and they build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Watch what he says about this nation. Guilty men, these are not good men, guilty men whose own strength is their God. And God says, that's the people I'm going to use to bring judgment and discipline on Judah. Habakkuk's response was basically, you can't do that, can you? And that led Habakkuk, once he starts wrestling with what God's going to do, that led Habakkuk, remember now, this is a dialogue, this is a conversation, that led Habakkuk to voice a second complaint against God. You'll you'll find that complaint in verses 12 through the end of chapter 1 and a little bit into chapter 2, the first verse of chapter 2. We don't have time to read all of that, but let's read verse 13. It'll give you a flavor of his second complaint. Verse 13, chapter 1. Your eyes, Habakkuk is speaking to God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Here's a good question. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? As far as Habakkuk is concerned, God's first answer hadn't been an answer at all. In fact, God's answer actually had created a new problem that was even more puzzling. How can God be so inconsistent? How could a holy God, watch this, listen to this, how could a holy God use a wicked nation to punish His chosen people? That's a big question. That's a hard question. How could a holy God use a wicked nation to punish and judge and discipline His chosen people? So in chapter 2, God answers Habakkuk. He answers Habakkuk's complaint. Here's what He says. Oh, by the way, I, I haven't read this in the previous services, but I like verse 1 of chapter 2. Habakkuk is, is feeling a little bit kind of proud and arrogant as he 
complains to God. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, and I will look to see what he will say to me and what answers I am to give to this complaint. I'm just going to stand here and just see how God answers that. And God does. God answers his complaint in chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Translation, Habakkuk, take notes. What I'm about to tell you, I'm going to make sure, write this down. Write this down so that others will know about it as well. This is so important, you need to take notes. And then verse 3 and 4. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. The revelation is going to be, I've got a plan for Babylon. That's what he's talking about. I've got a plan for Babylon. I know you're concerned about this godless nation. I just want you to know I've got a plan. I've got a plan for Babylon. I'm going to handle Babylon. But look what he says. Though it linger, the middle part of verse 3, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly not, it will certainly come and will not delay. In other words, I know you want me to deal with Babylon right now, but I've got a plan. And my plan is not on your timetable. And my plan is not according to your schedule, but I have a plan. So though it linger, wait for it. Now here's what God's talking about. In 539 B.C., about 66 years after this book was written, God indeed judged Babylon, just like He judged Judah. God took care of Babylon, and here's what God was saying to the prophet. He was simply saying this, listen, I know you got questions, I know you got some things that are hard to understand, but over those questions, here's what I want you to write down, God's not through with this yet. Maybe that's what you need to write down on your notes. God's not through with this yet. You've got questions, situations you're going through, difficulties you're facing, your doubt is rising. Maybe you need to write over the top of all of that. God's not through with this yet. That's what he was saying to Habakkuk. Listen, I know you've got problems. I know you've got questions. I know you've got frustrations. Just want you to know, I'm not through with this yet. Wait, the prophecy may linger, but wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. And then verse 4 is the key verse of the whole book. Here's what he says. See, he, talking about Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. And then he says, but the righteous will live by his what, church? Talk to me. The righteous will live by his... Thank you. Habakkuk. You're very concerned about Nebuchadnezzar and you're very concerned about the Babylonians. You're very concerned about those wicked people. But here's what you need to be concerned about. You need to be concerned about your own faith. I've got a plan for the Babylonians. I've got a plan for Nebuchadnezzar. But the righteous will live by faith. And that becomes, let me tell you something, that becomes the hinge point of the whole book. The righteous will live by faith. In fact, that becomes the rallying cry centuries and centuries and centuries later in the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. The rallying cry was, the righteous will live by faith. When the, when the Apostle Paul wrote parts of the New Testament, three different places in the New Testament, Paul makes this case, the righteous will live by faith. 
This is such an essential doctrine, foundational to our relationship with God. The righteous will live by faith. So when we come to chapter 3, we've been working our way through the book. So when we finally make it to chapter 3, guess what happens? Habakkuk is no longer complaining, now he's praying. And can I just say to you as your pastor, as somebody that loves you, life goes better when we stop complaining and start praying. And that's what happened to Habakkuk. He stopped complaining to God and started praying to God. And what God had said to him apparently took root in his soul. When God said the righteous will live by faith, apparently that struck a chord with him. It it took root in his soul. So we come to the end of the book, which is actually the end of his prayer. The last three verses of the book are these. Here's what Habakkuk says as he anticipates the, the awful imminent Babylonian invasion and the devastation that will result. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. God, even if you do send the Babylonians and they take everything we've got, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God. My Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. It's interesting when you look at the opening verses of the book and the closing verses of the book, and it almost seems like there's two different people writing. In the opening verses, he's questioning God and demanding answers. And in the end of the book, he's praising God and saying, even if I don't have the answers, I'm still going to trust you. So there's two life lessons I want to bring to your attention today based upon this story found in the book of Habakkuk. Two important, life-changing life lessons. And here they are. Number one is this. Faith is trusting in God regardless. Habakkuk learned that lesson. Faith is trusting in God regardless. A.W. Tozer, that great scholar and theologian said this, to know God is at once the easiest and the most difficult thing in all the world. It's the easiest and the most difficult thing in all the world. I agree with him. Habakkuk faced the frightening fact that his nation would be invaded by a merciless enemy. And the prophet knows that many of his people, maybe some in his own family, will be exiled. Some of the people will be killed. The land will be ruined. Jerusalem and even the temple will be destroyed. And yet, at the end of his prayer and at the end of this book, he says, but I will trust you regardless. It's amazing to have that kind of faith that says, God, I'm going to trust you regardless of what's going on around me. I'm going to trust you regardless of what happens in my life. I will trust you regardless. He once felt perplexed, now he has peace. He once felt confused, now he has contentment. He once felt fearful, and now he has faith that God is in charge of it all. And the only thing that changed, listen to me, those watching at home, listen to me, the only thing that changed was his perspective. Only thing that changed was his perspective. Babylon would still march to Judah. That did not change. 
The only thing that changed was his perspective. He decided to trust God regardless. It's one of the strongest affirmations of faith in all of the Scripture. That faith is trusting God regardless. Beautiful words. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk said, I'm going to trust God and I'm just going to rejoice in my relationship with Him regardless. There's a second life lesson that I want to call to your attention about faith. First, I said faith is trusting God regardless. Number two, faith is trusting God at my weakest. Habakkuk gives us this testimony about his first-hand encounter with God in verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Could I encourage you to take your pen, highlighter, mark those, wor- those words. The sovereign Lord is my strength. The sovereign Lord. Watch this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. When I'm at my weakest, Habakkuk was saying, He gives me strength. The sovereign Lord gives me strength. Rob Galati this week had tweeted out this quote. He said, faith is not getting God to do what you want. Faith is trusting God so that He will empower us to do what He wants. Habakkuk illustrates that beautifully in verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. And then he, unders- then he illustrates for, the all- for all of us what that means to say the sovereign Lord is my strength. What does that mean? Habakkuk illustrates it this way. He says, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. That's an interesting thing. Is you don't usually see that in Scripture. There's a couple of places in the Psalms where the psalmist said something similar. That's not something we normally talk about very much. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. It's probably a reference to the ibex. The ibex is a desert-dwelling deer that is common in Israel. They're there even to this day. I've seen them many, many times. Especially in the desert area around the Dead Sea. And in Gedi and all of that, it's desert, it's mountainous, it's rocky. And you can see the ibex going up and down these steep cliffs. And it's amazing that they can ascend and descend these steep cliffs. You're not going to believe this. I've actually seen three ibex in the tree. I saw these ibex... Walking around, eating on the ground. I don't know what they were eating with all the rocks, but they found something there they could eat. And then I looked, they were walking around an olive tree, and I looked, and there was three ibex in the olive tree. If you don't believe me, i got pictures to prove it now. Come on. This is not a preacher's story. I'm not making this up. It really happened. I actually saw three ibex in the tree. Here's, here is Habakkuk's point. He said, God, the sovereign Lord who is my strength, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. In other words, here's what He was saying. Just like God has sovereignly, providentially formed the feet of the ibex to walk in those hard places, God enables me to keep standing when I would normally fall. God enables me to walk through those hard places I normally wouldn't be able to walk through. Look how he says it at the end of the verse. He enables me to go on the heights. 
Another translation says, He enables me to go on the high places. The heights or the high places is representing those places that I could not go to on my own. That's why he said, He enables me to do it. These are not places I could go to on my own. And the high places are usually the hard places. It's places we wouldn't choose to go on our own. Sometimes you find your life in places you would never choose for yourself. But the sovereign Lord, when He is your strength, He enables you to walk in places and walk over and through times that you would never be able to walk through on your own and you would never choose for yourself. But faith is deciding to rely on God's strength and not our own. He ends this book by saying, He enables me. Might want to underline that. He enables me to go on the heights. Those hard places, those difficult times, I would never choose for myself. Isn't that what Paul had in mind in Philippians 4.13 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I think it's unfortunate sometimes that, I love the fact that sports figures quote that verse, but sometimes they use it as if God's really rooting for us and He's going to help our team win. It's not what that verse is about. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul was saying the same thing that Habakkuk was saying, at my weakest, I can trust in His strength. When I don't have any strength to keep going, He does. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, faith is trusting in God at our weakest. And I want to end by showing you six words in this scripture that that you might want to write down on a card this week. There are six words that might help change your perspective of what you're going through. Six words that you need to cling to, hang on to, and use this week. They're found in verse 19. And here are the six words that may be life-changing for you. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. When those six words really take root in your heart, the Sovereign Lord is my strength. When those six words really take root in your heart, you will find yourself trusting God regardless of the circumstances. You will find yourself trusting God regardless and you'll find yourself trusting God at your weakest. Because your testimony, your first-hand encounter with God will be this. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. I love to listen to Lauren Daigle. She has a song called, I Will Trust in You. Part of the lyrics in that song say, and she's talking to God in this song, and she says, When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. And when you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers, as I cry out to you, I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. Exactly what Habakkuk was saying. He started the book by saying, God, how long? How long do I have to keep waiting for you to even say anything or do anything? How long do I have to keep asking and you don't listen to me? How long? That's how he started. 
And he ended his book with a prayer. God, I'm trusting you regardless. Because the sovereign Lord is my strength. That was his first hand encounter with God. You bow your heads and pray with me for a moment. If I could summarize the message with, this, with one sentence, it would be this. Faith is deciding to rely on God's strength and not your own. Faith is deciding just to rely on God. For some of you right now, life is hard. You've got some questions and you've got some doubts and you might even be angry and maybe even be angry at God. Welcome to the book of Habakkuk. He says, let me tell you about my first-hand encounter with God. Let me tell you my own personal testimony. But as he walked through the high places, the hard places, he saw it was the hand of God that was helping him through this difficult time. And his conclusion is the same conclusion you can reach. The sovereign Lord is my strength. You may not feel that right now, but you can still claim it. You may still have questions, but you can still claim it. You can still say to God, God, I'm going to trust you regardless. And I'm going to trust you at my weakest. And so these words of faith, let them come from your mouth and eventually they may come from your heart. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Do you know the Lord like that? Do you know God personally? If you don't know Christ as Savior, here at the end of this message, we're going to sing one song to give you an opportunity to come to place your faith in Christ and say, I need a personal relationship with God. I want to have a first-hand encounter with God. If you'll come during this, during this song, I'll help you with that. Those watching online, if you have questions about a relationship with God, about starting that relationship with God, if you'll email us, we'll help you with that. Father, in the name that is above every name, we're grateful that you are sovereign Lord over it all. And even when we get anxious, and even when we get angry, and even when we wonder, God, why aren't you doing something? Thank you that you can change our heart, you can change our perspective, and maybe one day we'll be able to say, the sovereign Lord is my strength. It's in the name of Jesus we thank you.